All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, as you just saw in the video, we've got an incredible Sunday coming up next Sunday. You're going to want to be a part of it. It's what we call Missions Sunday. We've got something special happening in each one of the venues. So again, I need to say a big hello uh, to all of those that are worshiping with us at North Platte. Guys, thanks a lot for joining with us. I also want to say hello to all of you that are worshiping with us down in the venue. Um, so if you're in either one of our, uh, our auditoriums today, you just need to know that we are one church in multiple locations. We're all worshiping together as one large body, hearing the same message and have live worship in each of our venues. We've got uh, campus pastors that are, that are located in each of our venues as well to provide pastoral care and ministry. So uh, it's a great place to be, even on Memorial Day weekend. I mean, come on. It's a great Memorial Day to stay inside and eat chili. <clears throat> I mean, that's what Memorial Day is about. No, it's not at all. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a great start to the summer, huh? You guys that like that? Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Um, it makes for good, it makes for better church attendance, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. So it's great to see all of you guys here worshiping with us today. Um, listen, we've been going through this teaching series called Essentials for the past 20 weeks. Is there anybody that has perfect attendance over the past 20 weeks? You do, honey? Okay. <clears throat> My wife says that she does. I'm not even sure that that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we were, but she was probably clapping for all of you that did have perfect attendance. That's probably what it was. Cause that's, that's the heart that she has. One of compassion and love for others. And that is true. Uh, so we've been going through the essential truths the last 20 weeks. It's been fantastic. We've been building this wall that's behind me. Each of these blocks on this wall represents a spiritual essential truth right out of God's word. Uh, this is just a snapshot, <clears throat> a snapshot of really all that God's word contains when it comes to the power of his word. So Many of you have been reading along with us. I want to say congratulations to you. Uh, if you've been reading with us and you've finished the reading, or maybe this week you're going to finish it, there is a, a list of, of scriptures to read this week. If you read those and you process through it, congratulations, man, because God's word is winning in your life. When you're reading God's word, you're studying God's word, you're reflecting on God's word, God's word is winning. Come on, who likes to win? Who likes to lose? We always, there's always like one or two, one or two people always. Yeah. They're like, well, you know, <laughs> people, people show compassion to me. I become the underdog. No, here's the deal. Everybody likes to win. All right. And to win, I'm going to take care of something really quick. I rarely have to do that. It was a bit overdramatic, but I thought if I was going to try on a cough, let's not make it small. Let's just go for it, you know? Just let it all out and let it fly. Just go for it. And so later on, you're going to be maybe interacting with that wall. Be careful. Um, um, okay, so here's where we're at. Everybody likes to win, man. I know, we know that, right? Because... That's just built into our nature. How many of you guys have a favorite sports team that's won like in the last second of a game? You have a sports team that's ever done that? How'd it make you feel? Like you were just totally jacked up and excited, weren't you? 
I mean, here's your team. It's a basketball team, whatever. And they shoot the ball and the buzzer goes off. The ball's in the air. Whoosh, man, it is in the hoop. Your team wins. It's fantastic, right? Or if you're like me and you like hockey and they're bringing the puck down and they skate it through the middle ice and they bring it into the zone and they take a big nasty slap shot and the puck goes in 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 the upper part of the net and you're just like, yes, it's amazing, it's awesome. Or football and they march the ball all the way down the field with the last 60 seconds, they go 60 yards and then they kick the field goal and your team wins. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, come on, doesn't it feel good? All right, of course it does. It even feels better when you're rooting for the team that wins and you have someone else sitting there that's rooting for the team that lost. It feels way better then because then, man, you get your nice little, like you don't ever dance, you don't ever shout, but you shout at moments like that. You get your nice little victory dance. I'm like, yeah. Got you. Am I the only one that does that? <clears throat> I don't mean to be the only one that does that. I know that others of you want to do it. You just haven't ever like cut loose and did it. But we also like to win with a blowout, right? I mean, have you ever had your team that you've been watching just blow out the other team? I mean, from the beginning to the end, they dominated them. It was one of those moments where you could barely get up and go refill your soda or get that third, you know, plate of cheesecake. Because if you left, if you left, they would score and you would miss it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. People like that. We like the the last second. We like the blowout. But I, I guarantee you what we love more than any of those things is when the underdog wins. Give it up for the underdog. I mean, come on. When the underdog When the underdog wins, when the team that, you know, everything has been said about them, like you can never win, it's impossible. The odds are so stacked against you. You know, they should never even show up, but then they they hang in the game and then like you start getting a little hope for them as the game goes on and it starts getting towards the end and they're still there and you're like, wow, this is supposed to be a blowout. And then all of a sudden your team takes the lead. Fantastic. How many of you guys were alive in 1980? Alive in 1980. Okay. How many of you guys actually still remember 1980? Okay. So that's a different group of people sometimes. Okay. So 1980, right? The American Olympic hockey team is playing in the medal rounds and they are supposedly the underdog and there's no possible way for them to get anywhere. And what do they do? But they come back and they beat Russia Right, And it puts us in the medal round for the gold medal where we beat Finland and we took the gold. Right, It's the best underdog sports story of our time. And if you're too young and you weren't born then, you need to go back and you need to read it. In fact, you need to watch it All right, because it's just fantastic. I mean, it's this time frame of life where you've got these two countries that are basically in this cold war against each other, and then America, on American soil, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, man, we took those boys. What a great story. Man, the underdog won. Everybody likes to win. You need to know something today, that if you are following Christ, then you are setting yourself up for all kinds of wins, all kinds of victory, because victory is found in Christ. Victory and winning is found in Christianity. You need to know that today. 
All right, and there's no, there's no quorum about it. I don't make any excuses about it. Victory is a cornerstone of Christianity. Why? Because Jesus had victory over sin. That's number one. Jesus lived a sinless life. Secondly, Jesus, Jesus had victory over death. Satan couldn't hold him down. <clears throat> he rose again. Oh, Satan thought he had him when Jesus went into the grave. And Satan got, you know, halfway around on his victory dance. And he come around and he opens up his eyes and he goes, holy cow, Jesus is alive. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's right. Bam, right? And just drops him to the ground. Something like that. I'm not exactly sure how it went down. You'll have to ask him, you know, when you get there. Something happens, right? So Jesus is the victor. That means for you and me, we can have victory over sin. It's called grace, okay? We can have victory over sin. We can also have victory over death. It's called heaven. Ultimately, it's because Jesus has victory over how many things? Everything. Everything. It's because Jesus has victory over everything that we can have victory over sin and death. It's powerful. It's amazing. And that's where we're going to end today. I'm going to take you into the future in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and 20. And I want to help you see how Jesus had the victory on the cross. It was already won. But Jesus has got some amazing victories that he's still going to win. In, in Revelation, chapter 19, starting in verse 11, is some amazing scripture that deals with the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Jesus was here once. We know that. He was born raised, gave his life on the cross, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven. There's a second time that Jesus is going to come and he's going to put his feet on this earth. And when he does, there are some powerful things that are going to transform and change. So in Revelation chapter 19, we see the buildup to this is kind of the crux of it all, that there is a mighty battle that is raging called the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon takes place over in Israel um, and that battle's raging. Now, the final day of that battle is the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he comes back in the middle of this particular battle that's raging where the nations of the world have gathered together. They may have been warring against one another. But instantly, as they look into the skies and they see this one who is riding this white horse, who has eyes that are blazing like fire, Revelation 19 tells us, who is wearing many crowns upon his head, and that out of his mouth is like a sword, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And he's riding with the armies of heaven. He is on this horse with this robe that has like been dipped, or it's red as if it had been dipped in blood. And he's riding with all of these saints, these, this army on, on white horses with white robes. And they're riding back at this very moment. And in Revelation 19, it says that upon the one who was leading the charge was written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And at that moment, the armies of men who had gathered together and are now focused their attention on defeating and battling against God are destroyed in a matter of a moment. There isn't some big, long, drawn-out battle that takes place where Jesus goes, you guys go that way, you flank them from this direction, we're going to fire missiles this way. It's in a moment that it takes place. So look with me in Revelation chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. It says, then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and the armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. Hold on right there. The beast is what we would know as the Antichrist. 
The one who positions himself during a time period the Bible refers to as a tribulation period, a seven-year period of time before the second coming takes place. The beast is the Antichrist, and with the Antichrist, he has his false prophets, these that are, you know, proclaiming that they've got power and authority, and it's how he, it's how he deceives the nations to follow him and to worship him. So this scripture says, and with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, right? Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Notice, there isn't some big battle that takes place. They're just thrown alive into this. Then look in verse 21. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. That's Jesus. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. This massive battle that takes place. Jesus shows up with the, with the mighty entourage of heaven that's been proclaimed since the beginning of time that Jesus was going to come and establish his true kingdom on this earth is when Jesus does this. And there's no big battle. It's just a battle that's won. It's won succinctly, it's won quickly, and it's won powerfully. But how is it won? One of the ways that it's won is by the sword that's coming out of the mouth of Christ. Now, I've got, I've got to tell you right now, it's not a literal sword that comes out of his mouth. That sword represents God's word. God's word. The spoken word from Christ and the enemies, the enemies of God are thwarted. The spoken word from Christ and all of their mechanical equipment, boom, shuts down. The spoken word from Christ and every one of their hearts stops beating instantaneously. The spoken word of Christ, what does that tell you about God's word? It should tell you that God's word is all-powerful. It should tell you that nothing can stand against God's word. It should tell you that with God's word, the earth can shake, that with God's word, the enemy can be defeated. You need to know today something that's true that we've been looking at as we've been teaching this entire series is that every one of these essential truths represents God's word. And God's word becomes like a rock, like a solid wall, you know, like a solid rock on which you can stand. That's what God's word is. Because God's word was spoken when Jesus was in the grave. Arise, my son. Boom, Jesus rises up. God's word is spoken at the end of time. And the enemy and all of his armies are defeated in a moment. But that just starts something incredible. That in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about this millennial reign, this 1,000-year reign, where Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords on this earth. And that whole period, right after this moment, it starts by, watch this, Satan being bound. Satan. So you've got the the beast, the Antichrist and his false prophet. They're in the lake of fire. And then you've got Satan, who's really the mastermind behind all of this corruption and evil and sin. Because that's his mission. Jesus has him bound with a chain and thrown into a bottomless pit. Here's an interesting fact that you're going to read in Revelation chapter 20. Jesus himself is not the one who does it. Jesus calls upon an angel and has an angel come and wrap Satan up with a chain and throw him into the bottomless pit. You've got to read it for yourself and see it. 
See, that just lets you know instantaneously. Some of you think that Jesus and the devil are on these equal playing fields and that they battle against each other all the time. When the truth is, in the end, Jesus is fully God. Satan is just some created being down here. And an angel is all it takes to wrap him up and throw him into the pit. That should tell you one more time how powerful God is. It should tell you and remind you how powerful God's word is. God's word's all powerful. So in that moment when Satan's bound and he's put into this pit, then Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a time of peace. It's a time of prosperity. It is a time of true joy. It's a time where there is no evil. If you are a Christ follower, you're going to be there. If you've committed your life to Jesus, you're going to be there. If you haven't, I seriously want to encourage you today. Take a step towards Christ. Humble yourself before him. Submit your life to him. And you too, you rule and reign with Christ. Even on this earth, it's going to be a powerful moment. Some, something crazy takes place though. At the end of the thousand years, because you're wondering like, okay, a thousand years. So what happens at the end? For some reason, Satan is loosed again. You're going to have to ask God why he does that, okay? I've got an idea, but that's all it is, is an idea. So I choose not to preach the idea. But Satan is released, right? He's released, and he goes, and he starts tempting people again. And he starts deceiving people, and he deceives many people. He deceives some of the rulers of nations, and they gather people, and they march across the land, coming towards Israel to, you know, conquer Christ once and for all. And this is what the Bible has to say about it in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 9. It says that they marched across the breadth of the earth, and they surrounded the camp of God's people, the city that he loves, that would be Jerusalem, But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. What came down? Fire. Fire Fire comes down. So picture this with me. All right? Here is, here's Jesus. He's king of kings, lord of lords. He doesn't say when when he knows that the armies are coming to all of his people that are in his camp, hey, guys, quick, go get all the missiles, the rocket-propelled grenades. Um, Go get, you know, go get your machine guns. Go get your hand grenades. He doesn't do that. He just goes, stay and worship, basically. You're in my camp. And when the enemy gets to where he needs to be, fire will come down and destroy him. I mean, how dumb does Satan literally have to be? In a serious manner. How foolish does he have to be to be able to deceive himself multiple times over and over and over again? Oh, I I didn't get him when he was on the cross. Doggone it. He rose again and he got out of my grasp. He got out of my grasp. You know, he's gone. Oh, man, you know, when he came back on that second time, I just wasn't ready completely. If I just would have been more ready, maybe I could have got him. So now he gives me this last moment after these thousand years. You know what? I think I can take him this time. How dumb do you have to be before you can figure out that you know God's word better than anybody does? That's what the Bible says. The demon know know God's word, and they they shake at at the name of Jesus. You know what it says. How crazy do you have to be to deceive yourself over and over and over again that Jesus has the victory? How crazy. And then he gets inside of your mind and my mind and he deceives us and tricks us and causes us to believe that somehow Jesus is not powerful enough. Well, at the end of that thousand years, Satan is thrown into into the lake of fire, and the Bible says forever. And that leads me to my one and only essential truth for today, and that is this. Jesus 
is always victorious. Always victorious. I think that's worth clapping for. Jesus is always victorious. Why is Jesus always victorious? Well, because he's king of kings and lord of lords. That's true. But out of his mouth comes the sword. And by the spoken word, it's by the word of God that's true. It's by the word of God that's unshakable. It's by the word of God that's both powerful and yet alive. The Bible that you have, whether it's on your iPhone or it's in an, you know, a, a printed version, it's alive. It's not dead. It's not printed on dead wood. It's not printed on dead digital signals. It's alive and it's powerful. And this wall represents it. And every one of these blocks represents a spiritual truth of who God is. Because it's unshakable, powerful, and true. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. You and me have to bring our lives and we have to stand on God's word. Because God's word will bring victory to you. God's word is the essential truth. And the wall behind me represents that essential truth, that solid rock of God's word. Why? Because God's word is true. God, God's word displays his character. God's word displays his nature. God's word displays his powerful, powerful uh, presence. And when you get your mind and your heart wrapped around the truth of God's word and the character and the nature of God penetrating into your heart, the power of God comes alive. And the power of God is there to conquer death, hell, and the grave. The power of God is there to conquer the sin that so easily entangles you and me. God didn't only have the power, as we looked in Revelation, he always has the power, and he always has had the power. So when we look back in books like Psalms, as an example, in chapter 62, this is what we see in the Old Testament being being written about God's power and his authority, about his word. It's that he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. What is he? He is my, what? Refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Notice that. He's my refuge, right? He's my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. He is a fortress where I will not be shaken. I want you to think about it for a moment. If you were in ancient times and you lived in a city that had a, had a wall around it, if you lived in that city and you worked in that city, you were always protected by its wall. But if you lived outside that city or you worked outside the city, then you would be vulnerable when an enemy would attack. But when an enemy would attack, they would make some kind of a sound, blow a trumpet or blow a horn, a ram's horn or something. And when you heard that horn, you, everyone came running and they came rushing with all their goods and with all their, you know, their people. And they would run into the walls of the city and the gate would close behind it to protect them from the enemy. That's who God is. God is like that fortified city that you won't be shaken in. God's like that refuge. He's the rock where no enemy that comes against you can stand. Because God is like that wall. The wall we've been building with essential truth blocks by the, the power of his word. He's like that wall and he goes, run to me. 
Run to me when the enemy when the enemy attacks. Run to me in your weakest time. Run to me and find strength. Come to me, come into my walls, and I'll surround you, and my gates will close, and I will protect you. I will be a fortress to you, and I will be a refuge to you. But you and me, we have to run to him. You have to run to God today as if your life depends on it. You have to run to God as if there's nowhere else for you to go. You have to run to God 100% abandoned to him or the power of his word falls short. You have to run to him and say, Jesus, I need freedom in every area of my life. I need to start trusting you in every area of my life. And in God's, God's word, his essential truths, his wall acts like a fortress and a refuge for you. See, when the enemy comes to tempt you, because he does, how many of you guys were tempted this week just to do anything that didn't line up with God's word? My hand's up. They were constantly being tempted. We're being tempted like this bow and arrow. Like the enemy always kind of wants to try to shoot at us all the time. He's constantly wanting to trick us, deceive us, knock us off course. He's constantly wanting to, you know, fire some kind of a dart into our lives that would cause us to be tempted enough to entertain an idea to worship something other than the powerful living God. That's what he's constantly doing. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us this in verse 13. That the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can what? Endure. Satan is walking around and he's got, whoops, sorry. I got to make sure I got this right, man. This is going to be a powerful illustration here. There's no, there's no room. I won't aim this at you, I promise. I won't aim it at you. I'll keep it down, okay? Because this is a weapon. And that's what Satan uses. He uses weapons and he tries to shoot the darts of temptation your way. And you know what Ephesians 6 has to say about it all? It says this. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. What do you think the shield of faith is anyways? What do you think that thing is? The shield of faith is God's word. Believing in God, his character, his nature, believing in his word. So that way, when the enemy does draw back his bow and he lets go of his temptation, guess what happens? It defeats it. It breaks it. It stops it right there. And when he pulls back on another one, because you know he's going to, right? You know he doesn't stop. So tomorrow, when he pulls back on another blow, and he's like, okay, you know what? I didn't get him with that one. I'll get him with this one, right? Then it just shatters and it breaks in the presence of God because there's nothing, absolutely nothing that the enemy can throw your way that is so strong that it can overcome you when you're standing on the power of God's word. But if you're standing alone, you are susceptible. You're hanging out there and every one of those darts penetrates into your heart and it takes you down. The enemy doesn't stop there, though. He uses all kinds of things to distract. All kinds of tools and toys that he uses to try to deceive and to trick us and to tempt us into worshiping self over worshiping him. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is tempted himself in the 40 days in the desert and he's tempted to overtake kingdoms. He's tempted to throw himself off of a temple and let the angels catch him. He's tempted to turn a rock even into bread. And do you know what Jesus did every time he was tempted? He used God's word. He quoted God's word back to the enemy. He didn't just say, no. 
No, I'm not going to do it. He didn't just give in a little bit because it's not going to hurt that bad, right? The reason why I hold a balloon in my hand is because that's the way temptation works. Temptation is like a little bit of air in the balloon and then a little bit more in the balloon. And, you know, when it's small, you can still take it and maybe put it in your pocket and hide it. But over time, it gets large and you can't hide it. It gets bigger and now it's controlling you. It gets larger and you can't hide it and it's controlling you and you're bound to it. And what did Jesus do? He used God's word. And what should you and me do? Use God's word because when temptation comes your way and you use God's word, then no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No temptation that's common to man has to overtake you. But we have to learn to stand on God's word. We have to learn when temptation comes, we run back to God's word. That's why, that's why one, of the, one of the things that's acting like a cancer in our society today you know, it's pornography and sexual sin. And it's found on computers just like this. And I chose not to bring my, my smartphone up here just so I wasn't tempted to throw it at the wall. But it's on things like this. But when you find the temptation of the sexual sin, of the pornography or whatever's, whatever might be controlling you today, you need to know today. You combat that not just with being strong, not just by attending church. You combat it by getting God's word in your heart. And by standing on the essential truths of God so that when the temptations of hell themselves come, they break, they fall prey, they drop to their knees. Satan doesn't have to keep winning. He just is deceiving himself with his own game plan. Are you allowing him to deceive you as well? Jesus always has the victory, not just some of the time, but all of the time. I know that some of you, man, some of you have this cloud of depression that just rests over you. This thoughts of, you know, how you are less than or how, you know, the world would be better if you just weren't here or how you just barely have the energy to even get up and to keep going. You need to know, be renewed in your mind by the power of God's word. Think on whatsoever things are noble and pure and righteous. There is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Oh, I know depression, it might be a long journey. It might be a long journey to find freedom. For some people, it's, it takes a lifetime. For others, it's a, quick, it's a quick resolve. I understand that. I realize that it's deep. I realize there's a lot of things going on there, but you need to know today, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what thought the enemy's put in your mind. You do matter. Your life is worth something. Your life does have a purpose. And don't let this cloud of depression hang over your head anymore. Take it to God's word and start feeding your mind with God's word. Start feeding yourself with God's purpose and with God's presence. Run after God. You chase after him. You run into the walls of his refuge and his fortress and let depression break at its gates. That's cool. That's right. Are you, I don't even think you're convinced yet. I think you're just like, I wonder what he's going to throw next. <laughs> All right, I mean, come on. This is true. This is the power of God. 
Take addiction like, a, like beer or you know, whiskey or alcohol or any other kind of addiction that's overcoming you. It's something that you just can't control. It's zapping you of your strength. It's zapping you of your purpose. It's zapping you, you know, of all of your existence on this earth of making an impact and a difference. Take your addictions and smash them against the wall. Smash them against God's, um, God's word. That's what he wants to do. I was just reading today. I was just reading today that there are tens of thousands of people. It's it skyrocketed the amount of people that are dying from overdosing with just prescription drugs. I'm telling you today, if you find yourself addicted, you need to take these things and run to God. You got to bring them to the feet of God. You got to seek the help that you need. You know, maybe you need to go off for a year to Teen Challenge. A year of your life, a year versus the rest of your life is nothing, but it could mean everything. But it's going to start with you humbly submitting yourself to God and to his purpose. Humbly submitting yourself to God and to his essential truth. Humbly submitting yourself to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you always win. And when you do that, even things like that are destroyed and broken. That's who God is, guys. But I know this. And man, this, is, this just impresses me so much. I mean, it just, it humbles me at times. Sickness. This vial with its green, slimy, mucus sickness on the inside. We live in bodies that are imperfect. We live in bodies and we live on a planet that's filled with sin and death and destruction come all the time. Jesus has the power to heal. And you need to know something today that no matter what you're facing, you're going to be healed. It might happen on this earth or it might happen in heaven, but one way or the other, you're going to be healed. If you keep standing on the power of God's word. And I am completely overwhelmed by some people in our church that are facing serious, 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 you know, illness and sickness. But yet they are standing on the power of God's essential truth. And they're going, it doesn't matter what my body feels like, he's still king. It doesn't matter what's coursing through my, my blood, he's still king. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, he is still king of kings and lord of lords. And sickness, you can go where you came from. That's where you run. You take your doubt you take your fear, and you run to him. The enemy just tries to bind, bind us up with fear to cause us to, like, not, not, not do anything. It's like we just, we, we just become, you know, mindless. We become people that just go to church and go through the motions because we're, we're fearful of failure. We're fearful of if I step out on faith, if I step out on what I know in God's word, what, what if God doesn't show up? Well, what if you don't step out? What happens? Let the enemy and his deception keep winning. Stop doubting God. God is all-powerful. Jesus always has the victory. So take your fear and take your doubts and take it to the wall. Take it to the truth of God. Take it back to the word of God. You can take it there because Jesus always has the victory. If Jesus didn't always have the victory, I couldn't illustrate things like this. There's nothing you're going to throw at the power of God's word that's going to defeat it. There's nothing you're going to throw at the power of Jesus that's going to defeat him. 
nothing is going to defeat him. And he doesn't want that just to rest in you. He wants you to take that message and to go someplace with it. That's why he said to people like Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he says, now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Look at that. Upon the rock I'll build my church. What's the rock? His word. What's the fortress? His word. What's the rock and the refuge? His word. The character, the nature of God, wrapped up into his word that he gave us as a manual to live by. Upon his rock I'm going to build my church. It was not upon Peter. Peter's name is Petros, which means rock, yes, but stone. It means something that you can hold in your hand. He said, you, Peter, yes, your name might mean rock, but I'm going to build my church on a different rock, Petra. That rock means a bedrock, a huge rock, a firm foundation. It wasn't being built on a man. It was being built on God's word and his spirit and upon his power. That's what God built his church on. So where are the modern-day Peters? It's you, It's you, God. God is building his rock inside of you. Whether you like it or you don't like it, if you're a follower of Christ, you're being built into a living stone. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that. It says, you are coming to Christ who is the living, what? Cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And what? You are what? Living stones. That look what God's doing with them. That God is building Block by block, piece by piece, into what? His spiritual temple. See, literally today, what you need to grasp and understand is that because Jesus has the ultimate victory, he's the cornerstone. But because he has the ultimate victory, he's taking your life and he's turning you into part of his wall of truth. You're becoming part of it. You're dissolving into it. It's not about, God, what can you do for me? It's about, God, what can I do for you? It's about losing your life that you might find it. It's about saying, my life is not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. It's about losing yourself and dissolving into this wall and becoming part of God's word in you and through you. Being a a, a story, a testimony of God's power coursing through your life. Sharing the testimony of of what God's done in you and what God's done through you. And And being faithful enough to believe that the power of the victory of Christ is for you and he's with you. And that when you step out by faith and you believe to pray for someone, the power of God can be there. That when you step out by faith and witness to someone, that the power of God can be there. That when you step out by faith, God always has the victory. You and me are supposed to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So in wrapping things up today, Jesus gave this story in Matthew chapter 7. He said, if anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, by the way. So hear this teaching and find out a way to follow it. He said, it's like a person who builds a house, watch this, on solid rock. The story is about a person who hears his teaching and is wise and starts building his life on the solid rock, the Petra, which is what? God's word. It's on the very character, the nature of God that's found in his word. The one who is wise builds his life 
on the solid rock of God's word. And watch this. It says that though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds, they beat against that, that person, it won't collapse because it's built on Petra. It's built on bedrock. That's what I'm trying to encourage you to do today. I'm trying to encourage you to take your Bible, wipe the dust off of it, and move it from the coffee table, and move it onto your lap and read it. I'm trying to encourage you to take the 40 or 50 Bibles that you have wrapped up in your smartphone and actually create a Bible plan and start reading it every day. I'm trying to encourage you to start memorizing God's Word and start getting God's Word into you so you can use it like a weapon because I want your life to be built on the Petra, the bedrock of God, so that when the torrents come and the rains come and the floodwaters come and the winds come, it will not shake you because on Christ the solid rock you stand. That's my encouragement to you today. That's what Essentials was all building up to today. But he went on and he said, but if anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it, that person's foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand and when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Where are you building your life today? I mean, seriously. All religious games aside. All church affiliation aside. All membership aside. I'm talking lifestyle here. Where are you building your life? Are you building it on the solid rock of Christ? Because if you are, you're building, it on a, you're building it on victory. If you're building it on your own intuition and your own ideas and your own interpretation, you're building it on sand that's going to collapse. You cannot have a pluralistic mindset in this world, which is so prevalent in our culture today. I want Jesus, but I also want this. That's not the way it works. That you build your house on sand when you build like that. You build your house, you build your life in a place where it's all going to collapse and it's all going to fall. And things that get shot at it, they cause it to knock down. Because it's not built on the Petra. It's not built on God's word. It's not built on the solid rock. Anchor your life in the bedrock of God today. Because the testing of the trials are going to come. But when they come, no matter what damage they might bring, you can still stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground might be sinking sand. But on Christ the solid rock I stand. So today, in all of our venues, you were given a piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to do a little assignment with that piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to take that piece of paper out. And I want to invite you to do a spiritual act of worship with us that's radically different than anything we've ever done at New Life. I want you to take on that piece of paper and I want you to write something about your life that needs to be submitted to God and to his word. There might be temptation in your life that you're facing that you need God's essential truth to help you overcome. There might be sickness that you're facing. If you, know, if you don't have one, there's probably ushers in all the venues. Just put your hand up and they'll make sure you get one, right? Um, or take the one next to you and just cut it in half and use it that way. But I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to write down, God, some kind of a prayer. You know, God, I need freedom from um, the addiction of, and I want you to spell it out. Don't be generic. Don't go soft on this exercise. This is a very in-your-face kind of an exercise. I want you to write that down. God, I need your, the essential truths of your word to be powerful in this area of my life. God, I, I need I need the power of your word to be alive in my marriage. 
You might be writing that this is my life and I'm giving it completely to you today, God. You might be writing, God, my name is Jeff Baker and I'm committing my life to you 100% exclamation mark. It doesn't matter to me what it is, but where do you need the essential truth, the bedrock, the rock solidness of God to be activated in your life in a more prevalent way? You write that down. And then I'm gonna pray. And when we get done praying, our worship teams are going to come. And if you're worshiping with us down in the venue, there is a a wall that's been built for you. It's right over to your left. And if you're worshiping with us in North Platte, there's a wall for you and it's built right over to your right. And while our worship teams lead us in worship, you're gonna be free to come to the wall, fold up your prayer and stick it into the wall of truth. Stick it into the wall that represents the power and the presence of God. Stick it into the wall that represents you know, God's power through his word. Stick it into the wall that represents that Jesus always has the victory. Always. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we know that you have supreme authority. You are all powerful. That there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. Lord, there's no weapon that's formed that shall conquer you. There is no enemy. There is no Satan. There's no masterminding plan that any of his demons can come up with that can thwart you, that can take you down, that can destroy you. You are all powerful. You are almighty. You always have been. You always will be. Your name is King of Kings and your name is Lord of Lords. And Jesus, we choose to come to you this day and worship you. We choose to bring our lives and the areas of our lives we might be struggling with, areas of our lives where we need the power of your word to bring revelation, areas of our lives where we need the power of your word to be prevalent in us so that we can be overcomers and we can conquer the sin that so easily entangles us and we can fight and combat the temptation that comes against us and that we can hold up the shield of faith against every dart that the enemy might throw at us that will overcome depression and addiction that will overcome you know every every wickedness and every vile and evil thing that the enemy throws our way because Jesus you already have the victory There is no big battle that has to be won. There's just simple submission to you. There's simple humility, humbling ourselves before you. You've already won. Forgive us. Forgive us for the the moments when we've doubted whether you could win or you had the ability to win because you already have. And in the end, you win big. So Lord, we submit our lives to you. and We humble ourselves to you. And as we take these prayers and we stick them in that wall, We're sticking them in that wall out of an attitude of surrender to you. Jesus, I pray over this church that you would bring freedom. Freedom to the fullest. That you would break the chains of bondage and you would bring freedom. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.